audio version of Michael Leitman's blog. February 13th, 2023. Optimal Connections. Question, what are optimal connections and the optimal state between people? Answer, the optimal state is when a person reaches a benevolent attitude toward another person. Not because today they are beneficial to each other and tomorrow they are not or someone outbids someone, but because my nature must become completely good. Why? What is my benefit? Well, if you pay me, I understand that. If I benefit from this, I understand. But just to be kind to each other so that this relationship would be eternal and I would not be able to spoil it, how can I achieve this? This requires the next degree because if I treat you well, I will reach a higher degree, adhesion with the upper force, attainment of eternity and perfection. In this case, you become a means on my path to reach my perfection and eternity. In this case, I am ready for this, I value this. In principle, this approach is also egoistic at first, lolishma, for one's own sake and then it turns into an absolutely altruistic quality. When I begin to realize what my attitude toward others is correct, pure, eternal, and real, which in itself carries a great upper force, then I am already completely protected from my egoism and I will never become your enemy. From Cab TVs I got a call. Why do we need countries? February 4, 2012 the control board of spiritual development. The main thing when reading the book of Zohar is to be naive and simple in relation to it. After all, this book is so high and great that in relation to it we are small children who have been given an encyclopedia in our hands and hardly know how to even flip through it. We do not understand anything written in the Zohar. But it does not matter. If you study it to the best of your ability, then the effect of the light contained in this book is very great. After all, you do not just read or listen to what is written in the book. It is like you are in front of a touch screen of the computer controlled by the touch of your fingers. This is how the Zohar works. Looking at some word, you as if click on it and turn on a certain system. When you read or listen to a word from the Zohar, you press on it and from its spiritual root, you attract the illumination. Ol Makif, upon yourself. And so on, word by word, one illumination after the other. Moreover, the Zohar is written in such a way that it knows how to advance you. In the spiritual world, we must grow the same way as babies grow in our corporeal world, naturally and instinctively. Just as the external influence works on a baby in this world and he just opens up toward it, so must we open ourselves to spiritual influence. Only as a result of its influence, will we acquire spiritual feelings and mind. From the second part of the Daily Kabbalah lesson February 26, 2010. The Book of Zohar Bihalotcha, When You Mount the Candles. Raise the environment in your eyes. Question. After performing some joint tasks, it seems like it is even more difficult to mutually overcome subsequent tasks. Suppose we agree to shoot a video. We are on this mission together, 
and it is kind of a little unification process. But after that, it is much harder to gather the same people again. If you want to gather them for the third time, it is even harder. And the fourth time, it is completely unrealistic. Those who can overcome do it, and those who cannot don't. Is this the difficulty of connection? Moreover, a person understands in his mind what is needed, but he cannot do anything with himself. Answer, of course, he cannot until a real need arises and the goal set is above his current state. Everything is built on pure arithmetic, this is more, and this is less. I always take what is bigger, as my egoism is never wrong. But I can vary more or less, I can imagine that this is more important than that according to the values of the environment. This means that I must always choose such an environment that will point out to me the greater weight of what advances us, towards spirituality although it is against my egoism. If the environment in my eyes is more important than my egoism, and it can develop and show itself in this way, using my pride, my desire for power, for fame, and so on, then I can move forward. A person receives a practical method of working with his properties. And if he works with these properties correctly, he has no problem moving forward by using them. From Cab TVs I got a call. Two kinds of disturbances March 11, 2012. The Monkey Syndrome. Comment. As a child, when my parents and I watched a humorous program on TV and they laughed, I automatically laughed with them in order to participate in this game. My response, of course to be like the adults, as if you also understand. Question, yes, I saw how they reacted and also laughed like them. After some time I began to understand this humor because when you play this game, whether you wanted it or not, you suddenly turn on and understand what it is about. In our spiritual work there is also a level of monkey. What is the correct mechanism for this game? After all, a little person is still ignorant and an adult already has a lot infesting him. Answer, an adult is ashamed and uncomfortable, he does not know how to behave, he alienates himself and hides behind some stunts, behind rudeness, only in order to save his completely stupid pride. What does it give? But that is what nature makes us, do. If we imagine ourselves as little children again, then we are ready to play. In the group you can play and be a little kid no matter what. Friends understand both you and themselves and give each other such an opportunity. Therefore egoism is not afraid to act like a little child. So what if we run, dance, clap our hands, etc.? We do all this because we agreed to do that, because we understood that we should not be shy, but on the contrary, we must communicate with each other directly, like children. We have to get to that level. Our egoism can allow us, to do this because in the group we are among our own kind. In this case, we can show each other how open we can be, we can help and be included in each other. This leads us, to mutual love. You suddenly discover such a commonality, such a force that is never manifested anywhere else. From Cab TVs I got a call. Monkey March 10, 2012.
from the level of psychology to Kabbalah. Question, you say that there is nothing stronger than a thought connected with a desire. What do thought and desire mean separately? Answer, this happens only with respect to us. We are constantly talking to each other on a level called psychology. It does not give us, the opportunity to clearly explore our desires as forces with information records that can be divided into tense ephirot, emanations. We do not study them in three lines, in receiving, bestowing, and in the middle line between them, in balances on a scale. All this is impossible to study at the level of psychology. But from it, we slowly rise to the level that Kabbalah speaks of, to the level where these forces are weighed and their vector orientation of interaction with each other is correctly evaluated. From these forces, we can create an entire vector field, check it, analyze it, change it, and thus control ourselves and the rest of the world. This is what Kabbalah allows us, but only in the right direction and by no means forcing others to do so since you are entering a realm where you have clear limitations. As soon as you cross a certain threshold and you suddenly have the opportunity to do something wrong, everything immediately disappears. In the spiritual world, there is a safeguard, it is impossible to harm the world more than on our small, insignificant, earthly level. From Cab TV's I got a call. The power of thought is the manipulation of consciousness. January 27, 2023 A theater that evokes upper light. Question, you constantly say that the creator talks to a person all the time and that everything that happens around us, is a theater. If this is a theater, then how do you play your role correctly? Answer, in spiritual work, you play with yourself against your ego. You have to play the next level as if you do not have egoism in you, as if it has already been corrected. The best thing is not to resist what is in you, listen to good advice. Instead of fighting at the lower level, raise yourself to a higher level, and it becomes easy and good for you. You play this state together with your friends. Indeed, this is a theater. The theater causes a surge of the higher force on you because you are trying to reveal it within yourself. It exists around you in nature, it is a universal field of information and energy. You do not have to fight with yourself. You just have to rise above yourself all the time. Do not pay attention to your egoism, do not live in it, and do not engage in beating yourself up, that I am such and such. Break away from the ego as if you are already above it. It will become easy for you. And it is very difficult to be in it. This technique is very simple. The one who remembers it allows himself to save time and energy. From Cab TV's I got a call. How to realize your destiny. March 11, 2012 New Life 256. Good Neighboring. Hello and thanks for joining us on the New Life Show with Dr. Michael Lightman. Hello, Dr. Lightman. Hello, everyone. Hello, Nitsa Mazoz. 
Hello. And on this talk, we'd like to learn how to develop, how to build a good relationship with our neighbors. This is something that we'd like to really understand much deeper and better because it's something that's really important to all of us. So we'd like to learn how can we build a better life, a life that will be good for everyone, and specifically in relation to our conversation, how to build, establish a good relationship with our neighbors. So you're saying that in the optimum state where all the neighbors that live in the same building go through a certain process and we develop good relations between us and your attitude toward each other, assuming that it's possible, of course, we'll feel that when we come back home to the building that we live in, we'll really feel that we're entering a place that gives us a sense of tranquility, good security, that I enter a place that's good for me, that cleans all the maybe unpleasant things that I experienced before I came back to our building. And now that I came back to our building, I feel this cloud of good that's coming down on me. And before we get into how and what, I'd like to first of all understand why is it that in this relationship between me and strangers, what are neighbors? It's not my relatives that live with me in the same building, but these are strangers. These are strangers that live with you in the same building. Right. Why is it that precisely in this interaction with strangers, I can make this cloud of good, this warm, soothing feeling for myself? What is it about this relationship between myself and strangers that on the one hand can be really terrible, that will bitter my life, that when I pass next to their door I feel that why? What do you mean, why? Why do you feel that? Because I feel that they threaten my good and calm life, that they're entering your turf, yeah? That they are bettering the good life that I wanted to make for myself, and I can't get rid of them. You can't, meaning that there's some mutual property that's in the air and the ground and the lobby and the parking lot and everything, even in the air. We've burned something and you're suffocating on it, right? So what can you do? Not even if something's burned. Last winter in my building, someone brought this furnace or something that made this specific smell that I couldn't get where is it coming from the entire winter. The neighbors that live under me, they like barbecuing into your balcony. Yeah, at least if they'll send you some kebab or something. Yeah. Meaning, we're touching each other. We have no choice. Meaning that we have common property, a common realm, area, so much so that the neighbor is more important to me than any other person in the world because as if he's living to some extent in my apartment. I'm not even talking about his kids, my kids. 
Let's leave that aside for the moment. And therefore it's important. It's crucial. Now, what I want to understand is, how could it then be, and therefore precisely, why with these strangers can I reach this sense of calm? He's not a stranger. He's living in your apartment, in my building. In your apartment, if his smell reaches you, his noise reaches you. Yeah, I hear how his wife's yelling at him. I can't sleep. His music is everything. Yeah, I know all the relationships between everyone there, and they're yelling all the time, and I want to rest, as if it's in your living room. Even from across the road. I hear what's going on there. I know what they're talking about there, the will, the kids, the this, the that. I know everything about everyone. So why don't you yell out to him, Moshe, I heard that you bought new shoes. How are they? You like them? Why don't you talk to him that way? Yeah, I'm laughing, but it's, but it's sad. Why not? Because I don't really know Moshe. I don't even know what he looks like. I only know about his dialogues with his wife, because you don't want to know him. But now that I come to you, I'm offering you to buy a good thing, meaning a good neighbor instead of a bad neighbor. All the neighbors in that building, and later we'll talk about the neighbor from across the street. So, first of all, I see that you're already willing to buy. Yeah, to buy a good neighbor for sure. Where do you sell one? I'm going to sell you one. I'm going to sell you the entire building. Great neighbors, smiling neighbors. It's a pleasure to be with them, to see them, to talk to them. Next to them, around them, you really feel pleasure, tranquility. You immediately get a good mood. Possible. So you asked, why is it that I can develop so good relationships with my neighbor? Because he's living inside your apartment. So it could be very bad or very good. It can't be neutral. You can't get rid of him. So there are two states, either this or that, good or bad. And usually because it's not that great, then at least people are trying not to feel each other, each other's presence. Previously I lived in another place and I saw a neighbor who built another wall, meaning there was a wall between him and the neighbor. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, so to speak, great planning. Here they had their bedroom and there the kitchen. And the neighbor's wife at 11 p.m. starts doing the dishes, pounding meat. Yeah? I understand. So he built another wall. Also, I have a dream. The moment I'll have some money, I'm planning. I have this wall that I want to make it soundproof. 
so that all the noises that I'm getting from next door, it won't help because it doesn't go through the wall. So that's what I'm saying. I heal them everywhere. So I have the same line of thought as your neighbor has. I'm thinking about putting up another wall, isolation, something. So there, I give this course, class, called Good Neighbors. And this is why I'm telling you that. It could take on the best form because he's closer to you than your relatives that live far away. He's, he's living inside your your living room, meaning that he's a family member, and he's more than a family member because you can tell your family member to shut up and other such orders. And him, you can't tell that to him. So he actually is most important. And me, I bring you, according to my profession, I'm going to give you someone instead of him who's a true angel. Any questions? Yes. Nita, please. It sounds like the relations between the neighbors is the most important asset, more important than the apartment itself. Right? So what's the question? So after we understand now that the physical closeness turns that neighbor into the most important person for me. And what I'd like to understand now is after we've established a good relationship, still we're people, we have different mentalities, a different approach to life, and sometimes there are things that we don't agree upon. So the second part of this workshop is how do we settle different things that we don't agree on. Previously it was disputes. Now it's no longer a dispute, but still we disagree on things. Yeah, like politicians sometimes here or there. So we see what goes on there. Nothing will hold if we're going to talk about it, even in the prettiest, nicest way, with gloves and everything. It won't help. The only way is to deal with it according to the rule, to the law of love covers all crimes. I want to give an example. Suppose there's a neighbor that never pays maintenance for the building. No, 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 no. We're not getting into any solution. Love covers all crimes. Five words. That's it. These five words need to solve all of our problems, meaning that we need to reach connection to a point where we're in an embrace with one another. Oh, an embrace, obviously, is not physical. That we feel good with each other. That we develop good relations. And that it's customary for each of us to develop only a good attitude towards the other. These are exercises. It is a habit that becomes second nature. It's really work. Work. That this is how we come, we do exercises, after three or four days, again, twice a week even, not once a week. 
Well, it depends on the case. If it's difficult cases, like he explains maybe twice a week. And everyone is in that. Five, six, up to ten meetings. And even less. Unless it's their children, and these can, these can't come, etc., etc. Then we can make a video out of how we do it, and then send it to everyone by email for them to watch it at home. It's like our own closed-circuit television or something. By that, we elevate everyone from a level of hate and criticism and different scrutinies to a level of love, mutual support, mutual consideration, and a good and nice attitude toward each other. The crimes, they stay downstairs. We don't want to touch them, as if they don't exist. What do you mean by crimes? Ah, someone doesn't pay maintenance, the different disagreements. Yeah, someone else throws his garbage, someone else's kids make noise, someone, I don't know, he drew something in the lobby, someone broke some vase, etc., etc., at the entrance. There's enough to go around. Someone doesn't turn off the lights, eh, you can make a long list. So we don't touch all these things. We don't touch anything. Only how to look at each other with a good eye. Only that. Nothing besides that. To the contrary, the more different complaints awaken in me against each and every one, and they can be 100% just, and the entire world will agree that I'm right. Still, I don't raise them even into my mind. Once they start awakening, I push them back down. How? By thinking good things in the very same moment about that neighbor. What do you mean, think good? The opposite of what I feel like thinking. Can you give me an example? Suppose you're stubborn. We talked about something. And we all told you that you need to pay some debt of yours for some for, for last year, something. And as always, I can't. That's what you say. In the meantime, I can't. In the meantime, I can't do it. And every time that I see you, I immediately remember that you're falling behind on your payments and the entire building is paying. And you, two years ago, you didn't pay for one month. And when I see you, this is the only thing that I see. This is the only thing that I remember about you, that you owe $100 from someplace. Okay, what do I do? I work on it. What do you work on? I want to think that you're excellent, that you have no debt, that you're the first to pay for everything, and that you're willing to help all the other neighbors, and that you are the ideal neighbor, a real angel hovering all white around our house, only looking for how can you benefit everyone. But you're not that way. 
I think about you, that this is how you are. So you do this imaginary exercise with yourself, detached from reality. Detached from reality, yes. And that's how it is with everyone. Our house, our building, we can really animate it. That's around it, and her, and her building, there are 37 angels that are all the time around the house, hovering in the air, and only waiting, what can we do for everyone? And they come to you at night and help you, cover you, etc., etc. You really feel that this how it is. Good? I wish. Like I don't have a, vid- a vivid imagination, but still, imagine these things. And that's how every neighbor, this what they need to depict to themselves about the others. Yeah. Let's call it the angel exercise. Yeah. What does it give you? Tranquility, calm, uplifted spirits, a sense of security. But where are these angels? It doesn't matter, you don't see them. My neighbor, Miss Nitzan. In practice, when she's turning on her washing machine at 6 a.m., then these are bad angels that wake me up. She gets up early. What am I going to do about it? She's energetic at 6 a.m. Once she forgot her broom. Yeah, I understand the problem. So there's the angel exercise that is unrelated to Nitsa because I don't know. I have only Nitsa in my building. So I'm asking seriously. As if a race how things really are and depict, yes. Just don't tell her that I see you in my dreams. No, no, I'm trying not to talk to her at all. So I'm asking about the exercise. There is life, and as if shut my eyes on it, disconnect from what really happens, maybe even now, and depict to myself an imaginary depiction which is positive, really, really. They have eyes but see not, ears but hear not, you're really looking at everything that is ideal because were it not for my developed ego, that shows me all of these pictures, then I would have seen an ideal world. This is something that I'm telling you in addition to the explanation. You don't need to explain that to them. That's too much for them. But this is how it is. And this is what we need to bring them to. So this imaginary depiction that I depict in myself, that's pure positivity. When do I do it? When I feel the first thing that I teach you is that, and you immediately need to start doing it. So you're teaching us when we're in this general meeting for everyone. This is something that we need to work on now, on this meeting. What uh, we need to talk? Talk, yeah. Say what? Say something nice about your neighbor, 
about each of them, something, one sentence. Taste how possible it is or not. So I use this exercise every time that I feel criticism or something against my neighbor. I, I, and besides that, whenever you can, whenever you remember it, whenever it comes to mind. Look, I, I walked next to their door immediately. They told me you should walk, you should take the stairs. You'll never have a heart attack. So that's the, the workout that I do every day. So every door that I pass by, I don't need to try and remember it. It comes up naturally. I don't think that it's that it's healthy in your case. <laughs> exactly. So I go by family X or Y, and I, I, as a disconnect from what I really think about that family, and kiss their door and go on to the next door. That may there be blessing in this home, and you continue. What, this what I wish them? Yes. So that's a separate action, to wish them good. Yeah, in your heart, naturally, that's how it is. What do you mean naturally? I, I'll wait for them to move. When you think good things about them, so it's natural that you'll think that they'll have it good. That means that you bless them. You need to write down every word. Look, it's so opposite to my wishes. Today I really wish for them to move, and many other wishes, but that's, you know, just a positive show, so I'm not going to get into it. Okay, so I understand that we put all the things that bother us aside, and still, how do we solve the problem? We don't solve anything. It's simply so, that's it. No more. But all the time to think positive things about your neighbors, and they too, for them to think each about everyone. You'll feel and see that in a month or two or three, it depends on a person's ability. Everyone will cover their debts, the building will be clean, and the common property where you share property. Yeah. Yeah, the, the garden, the backyard, the walls will be clean. If something burns, then they'll come up and ask. If something burns in their apartment, they'll come up and ask, uh, do you need help? Did something happen? You will see how good the relationships can be. And again, understand that what you're getting from them is perceived, it registers in your emotions. What do you mean? Where do you feel your neighbors? Where do you feel them? I don't understand the question. What do you mean where? In your emotion, not in your kidneys or liver or wherever. You feel them in your emotion. You feel them, right? Yeah. And then your emotion can be directed in different ways, in different forms, meaning there's nothing easier 
than changing man because emotion is something very dynamic. What do you mean? That it's easy to change. Easy to change. That if I start depicting that person as someone close, someone good, as a pretty soft person, great, special, unique, close to me, etc., etc. If we talk more, if we learn how to talk good things about each other, if I look at him and he looks at me, we can no longer be evil, bad to each other. We can't. I can't betray him. In some way, I already want to get along with him. If I don't do it, it like hurts my self-respect, and everyone else here is like a witness. So, what changed the way Owen felt toward his neighbor is that exercise in which he imagined him and thought good things about him. Yes, but we, in the way we got organized, we're generating a common force here called home, where each and every neighbor, when he looks at others and sees them with a good eye, and that's how everyone is, by that, between us, we form some kind of common feeling, and that's called our house. Not this concrete box, but where all of us are right now emotionally. That's called our common house. What we generated is a feeling of many people connected together properly, in the right way, in the, in the right connection. And then from that feeling, we start feeling warmth and enlivenment. And with it, we can continue and more and more to develop. For example, we have neighbors besides that, a few more buildings. Let's do the same exercise with them too. Or let's give them an example. Let's have a small meal downstairs, all of us. We'll sit, suppose, Saturday night, where we have a few hours of rest. We'll sit, men, women, we'll talk, we have something to drink and cakes, and the kids are playing next to us. Let's do it. Next to where you live, is there a small park? I'm asking. Of course there is. I live next to a park, big park. Well, okay, maybe the park is far away, but still, next to your home. No, no, I, I live next to the park. That's why I went to live there, because of the green. So decide with the rest of the neighbors that you're going out with little tables, even without tables. What, with a blanket or something that you can lay on the grass, that you'll sit, maybe someone will bring a guitar, maybe this, maybe that, or without that, you'll sit with juice, with cake, talk amongst yourselves, 
You'll feel calmness. You'll feel that it's a day of rest. And not just so sitting inside that box all the time, waiting for the day to end, and again I'm going to work. It's possible to do good things. Kids, too. They can run around. They'll better get to know each other. They'll be happier in life. You're doing it for them, too. Bring something to eat, something to drink, some cakes. And that's how everyone is. What is the minimum amount of neighbors that need to participate in order for such a move to begin? Because I'm realistic. I don't think that I'll call upon them and all the neighbors will join. Over five. Over five people. Yeah, five plus, that's already... It creates an effect. Does it have an effect over the other neighbors too? Of course it does. Of course. First of all, the kids. The neighbors' kids will come down. And then, you know... Still, what woman can sit quietly with their women there sitting, talking, and doing something together? I think that it will spread very quickly. But again, we're doing all this with the right intentions and with a plan. What do you mean with the right intention? Meaning that we want to be good neighbors. Can you talk about it? Yes. That's the purpose of the project? Yeah. When we sit together, besides all the whatever we talk about, nonetheless we talk about how to be good neighbors, how to appreciate each of the neighbors, and to rise above how it seems to us. Because each of us is an egoist, and it's okay that we see each other that way and that we criticize each other, because that's nature. It's natural, and this is how it rises from within us. But above our own nature, we need to make an effort to think the opposite, and then we rise above our nature. And this is called, love covers all crimes, and then by these efforts. And then, really... Our building becomes a role model. How do I help a neighbor? I suppose I meet them, we have a workshop, and the next day I see that something's starting to awaken in her. It's natural. Smile to her, say something good to her. Not to cooperate. Suppose if she wants to criticize another neighbor. No, 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 by no means. Something sweet. Only. But what to tell her? Nothing. You don't answer that. You tell her something pleasant. Meaning I don't relate to what she specifically said. No. You don't even say something like, yeah, maybe it happened to them by mistake, like you want to be their advocate as if against her. Not that either. That's elementary psychology. You mustn't relate it in any way. Not against, not in favor, but love covers all crimes, meaning not what, everything. Seems to me like in such a building I'll get ulcer. Why? Because we're not saying anything. If until yesterday something bothered me, I'd come and tell you, or 
the manager is someone. Now you're saying no. If you see that something's wrong, like the example that you gave that you don't pay maintenance, we don't say anything to you. I suppose there will be more and more such things, starting with her kids making a mess in the yard. You don't tell her anything. He did something. I don't tell him anything. I don't say anything to anyone. I accumulate and accumulate it. And the next week, something will happen that will be the last straw, and I'll explode on someone. No. But I'm accumulating all the time. We take a certain period of time. You give me, suppose, three months. What is three months of your entire life? It's nothing. It's easier than selling your apartment, moving to another place, maybe finding even worse neighbors, right? So now we're making an effort for three months to think about each other, good things, and to wait. To wait that things will work out. After three months, check who didn't pay who littered, who did something else. And you'll see, compared to how things were before, how much less of everything you had, and that the debts were closed, and less problems and everything. I believe that this is what will happen. But I'm not asking about that. You went to, you went to the end of the process. You said, give me a period of time for things to improve. I'm sure that they will improve. I'm asking about the beginning of the process. You want to start the process with us of building good relations between the neighbors, right? But we don't come like a clean slate. We all come charged. Wait a moment. You're all now going into a psychological experiment. Psychological experiment. You're now in a psychological experiment. We agree on it, that you're doing what I tell you to. On the first lesson, you stop saying bad things, try to do good, trying to do good. After that, every day you need to write a few good, nice words about your neighbors. Afterwards, you need to talk to your wife. Tell her a few, tell each other a few good words about the neighbors. You also need to talk to your kids, for them to talk nicely and for them not to make noise. To tell them you can't make so much noise because it might disturb the neighbors. You really start. It's like you have, God forbid, your grandma is ill in the next room, so you tell the kids not to make noise or not to disturb grandma. You're becoming more and more active in that you speak nicely about others. Habit becomes a second nature. And this is how you advance towards realization. The realization of this operation called Love Covers All Crimes. The only thing to it are actions. And besides that, I'm asking, check, to which extent are you starting to feel that there's some kind of 
warmth, a ball of warmth, something nice, something pleasant that warms us, that brings us closer, that gives us confidence, a sense of security, calm, a pleasant feeling, that the entire building, not only my apartment, but that the entire building like starts radiating upon us, projecting this pleasant feeling that it feels good to be there. Truly so. And you can add to it many actions, but I'm not talking about games for kids, different activities, inviting a magician, do something on the grass, other things. Suddenly you see that everyone has a special profession, that he can help others and gladly does it a few minutes in the evening. All the more. I want to run a comparison between a certain model that was recently developed in one of the cities in Israel that's called Being Good Neighbors. And so I'll tell you a bit about it. So where did the idea for this project of Being Good Neighbors came from? It came from the understanding that in the mediation center in that city, they saw that many people called the police because of different quarrels between neighbors. And then they thought, instead of reaching a state where they already called the police, let's build something which is like the mediation project between the neighbors. And there's some kind of external person that comes, a professional, and I'll describe the process of what happens. First of all, you call the center when there's some kind of dispute, quarrel, strife, and they try to, as quickly as possible, send a person, a professional, a mediator. He has an, an initial talk with the person that turned to him, trying to understand what happened. After he gets this information, he talks to all the people in the building, that mediator, trying to understand what do they think about this, etc. And then it's possible that there will be different groups, coalitions formed, these things that, those things this, those things this, and people from the coalitions will choose a representative, and then there is a kind of mediation process with the people that represent each of the coalitions, and after they reach an agreement, there's a document, and afterwards, each of them goes to the, to the neighbors for them to sign and try and implement what they agreed upon. How long did it last? Well, I can't say, but there's a certain process here. An ordinary egoistic process like the ones we're familiar with from our world that don't last more than a few minutes or days. Because all in all, each stays, sticks to their own opinion. Because I have no choice, I agree. But what, do I gain something from it? I don't. But it's the least of two evils, maybe. But once I can, I'll break the contract and throw the other person a thousand miles from here. So, 
to try and reach an agreement, this is destined to fail. Human history shows exactly that. This is a completely different model. Okay, this model says that I'm not dealing with the, the issue itself. No, no, everyone is right, and everyone will have a thousand complaints, and everyone changes, and they'll have another new 1,000 complaints. So that's something that you can't get into. It's a, pardon my French, but a stupid approach. Enough already. What? Don't we learn anything from life? Because there's no other choice, then humanity continues. Because there's no choice, then okay, I'll do it. But what mediation? This mediation is very dangerous because by agreeing to something, but on the inside I disagree, but I simply don't have a choice. So I need to constantly keep myself, keep myself from breaking it. So I take a knife and I kill them. I can't anymore. That's it. Ask him if he'll agree to a mediation and will sign whatever it is. But he'll become calmer towards everything that the neighbors are doing to him. Of course not. So what are you going to do? Because you need to be calmer. You have to. You sign. Meaning, now, I bought myself another police officer. Hey, previously I used to shout and do things against and in favor, and I used to erupt. Now, I sign that I have no demand towards them. How much it suffocates me now, if previously... He was the only one sitting on my neck. Now it's also this contract. I'm about to explode. It's very dangerous. I don't think that that's the right way to do things. So what's the right way to reach compromise between people? There is no compromise. No compromise. To cover with love. Okay, covering with love, that's, you know... That's the solution. That's the solution. I don't understand. We have an argument about parking space. You're saying that the parking is yours, and I'm saying something else, and that it's mine. Let's sit in a workshop, be in it for a week or two, and I want to see how after that I'll nonetheless continue parking in my parking space. You won't have the conscience to do it. You won't have the inner evil to do it. Can't be. Can't be. So, all the problems will be solved by themselves, but you're not telling me that I'm parking in your, in your space. You wait patiently. You gain from rising above all the criticism, all the hate, all the everything. You gain from it. It's beneficial for you to keep quiet until I feel really what I'm doing, that I'm doing wrong, and I'll feel it. Because everyone around me is doing good things and thinking good things, I won't be able to. I'll have self-criticism. It's like my insolence will gradually turn into shame. Of course, the environment will influence me. It can't be any other way. 
I'll feel ashamed towards, uh, towards my neighbors, towards myself. I'll be ashamed of myself. My wife will tell me, my kids. This is the principle that this approach works on. Only the influence of the environment. This is what we're making, creating here, that it will influence everyone. Previously, you said that you want for us to check throughout this process of building a good relationship between the neighbors, how much we're starting to feel this warmth and good, as if this building projects a feeling of good, that it's pleasant to be there. How do I check that? How do I test it? What, you're emotionless or what? No, but do I ask myself something? What's the examination? Because you said that it's important, so you can start checking. You ever took your, your temperature, body temperature? Yeah, with thermometer. Right, you put it in your mouth. Put the thermometer into your mouth. Doesn't matter. Some stick, pencil, something. Sit for five minutes and think. Check. What do I ask myself? Something. What's the process? Fine. Write down the questions. This we need to tell to everyone. How did my opinion change? about my neighbors from a week ago and until today. How much do does the, the noise, the smells, the litter, the garbage in the parking lot or wherever, how much does it disturb me? How much do I feel like thinking bad things about them and I overcame them? How much did unpleasant thoughts awaken in me about them and I didn't overcome them and I did overcome them? What about my nerves in that period? How much I felt good and comfortable that I had a mood to go back home, enter the lobby, climb the stairs, see the neighbors, smile to them, or do I try to pass by so they won't see me? How do I relate to their kids when I saw them? What thoughts awoke in me in relation to the building and the grass and maybe what other common activity can we have here, etc., etc. There are many thoughts. Check them. Make a list. And examine yourself in relation to it. A week and another week. And you'll see how much you gained from it. So much so that suddenly you don't even remember the initial state. You stopped getting mad and shouting and being aggravated. And suddenly 
spilling all the tension out on your way from kids and how you're sitting inside your apartment calmly in tranquility you're willing to more safely open your window more than before how suddenly you become free suddenly you start feeling at home like an you're, you're from where? From what village? Ah, yeah, I'm from the Emek Chethel area, from the village of Eliashiv. Ah, it really reminds me of my childhood, where I used to run around in the fields playing soccer, and I really feel that it's the same now. You see, now it feels at home. You know what our neighbors like in my village? I don't know, but I know that you can feel that way and much better. Totally at home. I can't even start measuring, you know. So, I want to gain from it. I see that I have a good customer here. I wanted to ask. There was one question that you gave us. To what measure did I have negative thoughts about my neighbors and how did I overcome them? What do you mean by to overcome? Because we agree. No, I understand the rationale that I have to, but if you get a bad thought about someone, what does it mean to overcome it? What do you do? There are several levels of overcoming here. The first level is that I have to think good things about that person, even if that person's bad. B. I need to check whether I relate to as to my baby, to my beloved one, to something that I love. Can I relate to him that way all the time? That these bad thoughts practically don't awaken in me, and if they do, I easily overcome them. Thinking good things about him, depicting him as a good person. Can I already convince myself that what seems bad to me, it seems to me? And really, that person is a good person. And he's trying and doing everything in a good and nice way. Meaning, not that I'm doing it by way of compromise, like Nietzsche's example. That, oh, well, he can't. Sometimes he makes noise. It seems to me that way. Or he makes noise, but he's close to me. I don't hear it. I cancel it. Meaning, to what measure can I overcome, rise above my ego, so much so that I hear the singing of birds instead of hammering or whatever, and instead of the smell of it, that's not that great. I feel that it's really... Ah, what a great smell. And I look out the window, and there really, the angels are right outside. I see them. I'm telling you, it all depends on how you feel, on what you feel. 
Everything that you described here, um, everything that we've examined is only in relation to how I internally feel toward that person. And only, there is nothing else. In three months' time, when I go and check all those things that we singled out as problematic, they're not problematic. The parking, the, the garbage, no, 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 no. Well, we did agree that in three months he'll see a change, but he won't go and check. He won't check it. He won't go and check it himself. And if he does, then he's not corrected. He's not correct. It's not the neighbor's problem, it's his problem. And then here we already touch upon a different topic, which is perception of reality. Does a person see his neighbor or himself or what? But this is a bit beyond the framework of our show. You just taught me how to overcome a bad thought that appears towards one of them. But still I have a question about, previously you said that we should check. Start checking how much in this building you start feeling warm, good, like this sphere that warms us. That's called an apartment building. It's, it's something common for all of us. We feel that it is our home. It's not your part here, my part there, and the common part between us is the stairway. No, the entire building becomes everyone's home. So much so that, what are these doors, the entrances? We're living like a real commune. That's the good, proper, correct form. The primitive form in which we used to live in, in ancient times, where everyone lived together in a big tent or something, or in a big cave, you're smiling. You know why? Uh, I remember previously we talked about the village I lived in. On Saturday, this is how my entire childhood was. Every Saturday, there is this feast. Now, sometimes the feast, well, we, we had many feasts at home. My parents liked having guests over, but sometimes it was different places. But this feast, it was like... That's a part of our day-to-day -day life. There's work, there's this, there's that. And there are the feasts. A feast is that you come, sit together, eat, drink, sing. Every weekend. Weekends, Friday evening, Saturday morning, feasts all the time, wherever you have an opportunity. Sometimes here, sometimes there. It doesn't matter whose house. And why am I telling you about this? Because you said a commune, but this picture is very clear to me. When people generate good in the connection between them, but that's so light years away from what goes on in the city. I'm telling you, I felt it once with 
one of our neighbors who used to invite all the neighbors to his living room and he used to bring something to drink, something to eat, and we used to sit there and I know that my wife, she always made uh, a cake for that special day. And they used to sit and talk. Uh, you know, it wasn't that interesting because it was around different things that didn't really fulfill me. But nonetheless, I too, I went there and I tried. Still, I want to ask, why not? that precisely in those connections that we build between us and strangers that we're stuck with as our neighbors, that we're stuck with by chance. It's not by chance. It is not by chance. You need to accept all of these things as fate. I'm not talking about providence, but fate. That's how we are. So we were let to learn from this how to get along with people in life. You know, it's easy to hide behind locked doors. But instead of that, let's feel less aggravation, be more healthy, that our kids will have it good, that we'll have a good atmosphere, uplifted spirits. Let's do it. The, the difference is essential, truly. If you take into consideration the measure in which your good attitude towards your neighbors has a good effect over the way you treat your family, over the relationships inside your family, and at the end of these three months, do the same exercise, measure, to what extent did I have less fights with my wife? What does it have to do with one another? You'll see how much less, because it's the general atmosphere. Many reasons simply disappeared. You're already used to thinking in a good way, to think good, positive thoughts, nice, pleasant, warm thoughts. Out of habit, you already relate to her the same way. And you'll see what happens. It affects, it affects you at work, everywhere. In general, I'm giving you, I'm creating a good life for you everywhere, from morning till evening, and suddenly you start feeling that I have acquired a good attitude toward life. And other things, too, that we'll talk about some other time, about the additional thing that you acquire here, which is very unique. As always, our time's up, but still, a short question. In a sentence, can you give me an emotional picture of what does it mean people living together as good neighbors? The Garden of Eden isn't good enough. Your village, that's also not good enough. Uh, some pretty picture, like a baby in his mother's womb. Also, it's not good enough. So maybe a warm embrace by a loving person that I love and who loves me. What else can I say? It's simply the best, best possible, most convenient state that simply good. 
I don't know what other words to use. There are not many words for it. It's a good feeling that gives me content. So, we'll stop here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nitsa. Thank you for being with us. Till next time, all the best. Michael Leitman, on Quora, Why are the self-hating Jews? Indeed, throughout history, the Jewish people have seen fellow Jews turn against their own people. Titus Chief of Staff, Tiberius Julius Alexander, who was Philo's nephew and whose father donated the gilded gates to the temple, commanded both the destruction of Jerusalem and the massacre of 50,000 of his native Jewish community in Alexandria. In the 15th century, Thomas de Torquemada, of Jewish descent, was Spain's first Grand Inquisitor, and the architect behind the expulsion of the Jews from Spain. During World War II there were Jews who fought and spied from Nazi Germany. Stalin's personal assistant, Alexander Poskobyshev, was a Jew and assisted him in everything, including his plan to exile all of Russia's Jews to Siberia. More recently, we have the infamous Bernie Sanders example where, as a Jew, he believed that Israel killed over 10,000 innocent people in the 2014 Israel-Gaza conflict, when even Hamas' highest casualty assessments were a quarter of that number. Jews are said to be unique, but this profound self-loathing is not only unique, it is also very dangerous. From the very beginning, we Jews were different. Even in the days when we were called Hebrews, we lived by different moral and social codes. While the rest of the nations lived by the sword, the ancient Hebrews exercised brotherly love and attempted to love their neighbors as themselves. And while the world nurtured individualism, the Hebrews fostered selflessness. Our ancestors were an eclectic bunch. They did not come from a specific tribe or locality but were a collection of individuals who took to the idea that mercy and brotherly love were the tenets by which to live. Unlike their Babylonian and Canaanite contemporaries, they did not try to hurl ego against ego to see who was left standing. They had come from just such societies and no longer wanted to live this way. Instead, they acknowledged that the ego, which they termed evil inclination, is indeed evil, that it is an inherent trait evil crouches at the door, and that the one way to overcome it is to cover it with love. To put it in the words of King Solomon, Proverbs, 10-12, hate stirs strife, and love covers all crimes. Granted, it is not easy to constantly aspire to correct your ego and love your neighbor as yourself. From the very beginning, some Jews could not live up to that ideal and left the creed. In fact, after the exile in Babylon, the majority of the Jews abandoned their faith and mingled with the nations. The few who did return to the land of Israel became the Jewish people we know today. They were the ones entrusted with passing on the ideology of their forefathers.
The idea that love covers all crimes is the way to live, and that love your neighbor as yourself is the great klal, all-inclusive law, of the Torah, the Jewish law. When Israel's remaining Jews had declined into unfounded hatred, they could not keep their unity, the temple was ruined, and the Jews disintegrated into exiled communities. It seemed only fitting that the one who ruined the temple, Tiberius Julius Alexander, was himself a Jew. Soon after the ruin of the temple, anti-Semitism in its more contemporary form of blood libels, conspiracy theories, and accusations of disloyalty, began to dominate the nation's attitude toward the Jews. At best, the aristocracy tolerated them for their economic and financial acuity. At worst, they were murdered and driven away. Devoid of the ability to live up to the tenet they themselves had engendered, the Jews became as selfish as their host nations, and a great many of them could not understand why they should maintain loyalty to their religion. These assimilated Jews became our nation's fiercest enemies, holding profound rancor toward their kindred. They knew that they were born into a creed that was meant to be a light unto nations, but they did not want to be the chosen people and resented the fact that the world expected them to be different, more ethical than others, when in fact they weren't. Non-Jewish anti-Semites have it relatively easy. They simply hate Jews and they rarely need to rationalize it. Jewish anti-Semites have a much harder life, they feel constantly obligated to justify to themselves and to the world why they hate their own people. In doing so, they perpetuate and deepen Jewish disunity, driving us, further away from the brotherhood that had originally propelled us, into nationhood. And when we cannot form brotherhood, we cannot be a light unto nations and we therefore intensify the nation's hatred toward us. This is the reason why the worst catastrophes happen to Jews in countries where we are the most assimilated and least united, as it happened in Spain and later in Germany. We all have a part within us, that resents its origin and objects to our task. Just like our forefathers, this is something we all have to overcome by uniting above our egos. If we let that Jew hater within take over, we will increase the separation among us, and the hatred toward us, will grow even more. The deeper the world falls into unbridled egoism, the more it needs a method to cope with it, and the more it will turn against the Jews. Being the ones who once had a successful way of working with the ego, by uniting above it instead of making futile attempts to crush it, the world will blame us, for its woes, not realizing that all it really wants is for us, to connect and set an example of unity. While we may be unable to change the self-hating Jew without, or within us, we can use them as reminders of our task, to unite by covering our hatred with love, in order to share it by way of example with the world. We owe the world our unique method of connection. Until we implement it in order to share it, we will remain the world's pariahs, whether we espouse socialism or capitalism. Our way to freedom lies not in hating one another and bonding with the world, it lies in loving one another first, and then bonding with the world.